You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Lent, we've talked about it as this season of invitation, an invitation to repent. We talked about what that means um, in the Christian tradition. It's a word that comes packed with a lot of a lot of baggage in some cases and a lot of meaning, sometimes even a lot of abuse. Um, we talked about the reign of sin and death at work in the world and this impact and the kingdom of God and its impact. And I encourage you, if you missed that, that you catch that because I think that was an important message and it's not that long. Uh, we talked last week about release, the invitation to release. We talked about shame and vulnerability uh, and what shame does to us and how it moves from a feeling to a belief that is actually reflective of the reign of sin and death. And so if you missed that, again, I encourage you to catch that. Today we're going to talk about return, that Lent is an invitation to return. And a lot of times when we think about Lent as an invitation to return, we think return to what? And so Lent says return to your mortality, to return to your humanity, to return to the fragility and the frailty of the human body, the fact that we have less control over outcomes than we would like to believe, less control over our bodies than we would like to believe. But we're going to talk about that within a different framework. It's still going to be the same, but we're going to talk about Lent as um, an invitation to return and that becoming a liberating joy for us, but returning not just to our mortality, but an invitation to return to the cross. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 1.18. If you don't, that's okay. It's in the, um, it's in the uh, Church Center app if you want to find it there. Uh, otherwise, just please, if you will, tend to the reading of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Paul writes to the church, churches in Corinth, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. I'll read that one more time. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it as the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But that those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Paul begins this little miniature discourse with the phrase, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Lent as this invitation to return to the cross can be hard for us because our eyes are often looking to resurrection. We want to move through Good Friday as soon as possible so we can get to Easter Sunday. The early Christians would say to us, slow down. They felt the need to slow down. They might even say to us, Sunday is coming. 
But to get there, you have to move through Good Friday and sit with the tension of Holy Saturday. Lent is an invitation to return to the cross. This cross, this cross has become central to our faith. And it easily becomes a symbol we wear around our necks, have tattooed on our body, we wear on our clothes, or add to a charm bracelet, or something to reflect a general belief. And for many in our society today, it's so commonplace that it no longer sparks our imagination or stirs our hearts. See, for Paul, it was something different. The cross represented the most brutal kind of death and torture available to the known world. It was not a source of comfort to people. It was not a religious symbol of any kind prior to Christianity. To the Jewish and Roman mind, the cross was a disgusting and offensive instrument of trauma and death performed by the Romans on anyone who was not a Roman. It was reserved for a particular class of people in society. People who dared to to defy Rome. People who committed especially violent crimes. It was reserved for slaves who rebelled against their masters. It was the highest level of humiliation as the cross was a death instrument of the state reserved only for foreigners who threatened the stability and good of Roman society. Let that sink in. They wouldn't crucify a Roman. Only the foreigners. Crosses of dying people were placed high upon the hills to traumatically threaten all who would see them, to say, if you cross Rome, this is what you get. We may occupy your land, but if you do anything about that, this is your life. Listen to the ancient description of the cross written by a non-Christian around the time of Paul's ministry. Punished with limbs outstretched, they see the stake as their fate. They are fastened and nailed to it in the most bitter torment, evil food for birds of prey, and grim picking for dogs. The Roman poet, Juvenal, writes this, The vulture hurries from dead cattle and dogs and crosses to bring some of the carrion to her offspring. Another Roman writer named Seneca said this of the variety of crucifixions he witnessed. I see crosses there, not just one kind, but many made in many different ways. Some have their victims with head down to the ground. Some impale their private parts. Some with outstretched out their arm, with outstretched arms on the gibbet. Crucifixion was almost always preceded by some other form of torture. Jesus was flogged, whipped by lashes 39 times. Others would have their eyes gouged out or tongues cut out or limbs broken. Here's the thing, I don't share this with us as an effort to persuade us to appreciate the cross more. As important as that may be, that is not my intent. My intention of sharing this with us is to stir our mind in a way that comes a bit closer to what the readers of this text Paul wrote would have seen and heard when they read it. Because we are so far removed from it, we can't imagine why Paul would say what he said. We need to have some idea of what people in Paul's day would have thought and felt when they heard the word cross. It was not comforting. 
It was not something that would have evoked them to make a necklace, design a new toga, or place it as a bumper sticker on their chariot. And once this realization is firmly established in our minds, we're ready to appreciate the social implications of worshiping someone who was crucified on a cross. When Paul speaks of the foolishness of the cross, he's talking about bringing this brutal and political violent act of state execution to the center of Christian faith. The cross is scandalous. And since the cross was reserved for a particular class of people in society, people who dared defy Rome, people who committed especially violent crimes, people who rebelled against their masters, it became an instrument of death used by the Romans to terrorize potentially dangerous populations of society in submission. It was used against groups who posed the greatest threat to the security and stability of the status quo of the society of Rome. And it was designed to be so horrific and gruesome that you would not dare act against the institution and the establishment. It was a protect society against threats, a death of revulsion for subversives, rebels, and bottom feeders who threaten society, especially in an honor and shame culture. And that's the cross that Jesus hung upon. Those are the categories of distinction and belonging that Jesus was associated with. And so as a people who understand the claims Jesus made as Son of God about this inbreaking kingdom that had come in the midst of Rome, we should not be surprised that Jesus would die an enemy of the state executed on a Roman cross. Because in announcing a kingdom in the midst of Rome was to threaten the kingdom of Rome. And to announce that you're son of God or even let people say you're son of God is exactly the title that Caesar had reserved for himself. And for the Jewish political and religious leaders to start rallying up a mob of people who would start following this kind of way of being in the world that did not show power through violence or coercion, but instead through self-emptying love and, and gathering the marginalized was to threaten their power too. So the crucifixion was an emotionally shocking and shattering event for the believers of Jesus. They wonder why they... I wonder why they scattered, wanted no association with Jesus at first, with the exception of John. We give Peter and those guys, we give them way too hard a time. And the cross was utterly gruesome, humiliating, and absurd. Matter of fact, Roman philosopher and statesman, the famous Marcus Tilius Cicero, who, only, who died only 43 years before Jesus' birth, he said this about the cross. How grievous a thing it is to be disgraced by a public court. How grievous to suffer a fine. How grievous to suffer banishment. And yet in the midst of any such disaster, we retain some degree of liberty. Even if we are threatened with death, we may die free men. But the executioner, the veiling of the head, and the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. 
For it is not only the actual occurrence of these things or the endurance of them, but the liability to them, the expectation, indeed, the very mention of them that is unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. In a society that values leaders who display heroic power and strength, and if necessary, by violence, a crucified religious leader worthy of allegiance and worship is moronic to their minds. You with me on that? Moronic. Paul and other Christians declared that Jesus was king of Israel and because of what the scripture said about that king was the Lord of the cosmos, Lord of the universe. And to say that a king who died on a Roman cross was worthy of allegiance and worship was pitiful and absurd. And so Paul says in Romans 1, if we can put those ears on, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. It should be a little easier for us to see the foolishness of the cross. I mean, can you see the problem this brings for a religious message or for a missionary like Paul in a Gentile world? Can you see the problem it brings for the church? You may not even get a hearing from people when you say, and Jesus was crucified. You might even be suspected of subversion or sedition yourself because of your association. And what is particularly striking to me in all of this is that the church never made any attempt to diminish the offensiveness of its message by downplaying crucifixion. Who would have blamed them if they had for wanting to briefly mention crucifixion and get to resurrection? To maybe even just mention that he died, but not tell how. I mean, it could be argued that people in a Greek and Roman culture filled with a deep belief in Greek and Roman gods that a resurrected God was more honorable and believable than a crucified God is what would change things. Like, like okay, maybe you can kill Zeus. Maybe, but he will rise. Zeus wasn't crucified. You can never put Zeus on a cross. You can never put Poseidon on a cross. You can never put Artaxerxes on a cross. You can never put any of these gods on a cross. They, you would not crucify a god if a god was a god. The early church could have taught that you know, Christ died for our sins without necessarily mentioning how. But Paul didn't. The church didn't because it is the foolishness of the cross that demonstrates God's power. So the cross is a paradox. It's a paradox. Like God had long prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures that the Messiah King would suffer. So God flips conventional wisdom on its head by turning society inside out when He, the Almighty Creator of all things, postures Himself as a man 
and engages the world for our redemption and liberation. And he does so not through power or prominence, but through submission and sacrifice. Weakness becomes strength and death becomes life. The cross says something about God. It is so significant that all four Gospels devote an inordinate amount of time covering the final days of Jesus' life. But even today, in a society that values heroic forms of power, we can't fully wrap our minds around it either. It's significant, this idea of the cross in its context. Because everything we ever thought we knew about God in some way, all the ways we read the Hebrew Scriptures about God, all the genocidal texts, all the things that we thought we understood, all the things that we read and said, look at God do that, has to now be corrected, has to now be interpreted through the God on the cross which may have us go back and rethink, reread a little bit deeper and longer everything we think we know. Because God is seen on the cross. That's what the cross tells us about the God on the cross. Everything we need to know about God is present in the Christ crucified on the cross. That's what Paul would say. He is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of Godness of deity dwells in Him in bodily form. He is the exact reflection of God. He is, he is God. On a cross. As pastor theologian Brian Zahn says, like take this in please. The cross is the pinnacle of divine self-disclosure. The eternal moment of forgiveness. Divine solidarity with human suffering. The enduring model of discipleship. The supreme demonstration of divine love. The beauty that saves the world. The refounding of the world around an axis of love. The overthrow of the Satan. The shaming of the principalities and powers. The unmasking of mob violence. The, the condemnation of state violence, the expose of political power, the abolition of war, the sacrifice to end sacrificing, the great divide of humankind, the healing center of the cosmos, the death by which death conquered, the lamb upon the throne, the tree of life recovered and revealed, and with this brief list of interpretations, I've come nowhere near exhausting the meaning of the cross. For indeed, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it is an inexhaustible revelation of who God is. And maybe this is what Paul means when he calls the cross God's power. And maybe this is why he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Because God doesn't save the world through a power that asserts itself upon it, but saves the world by allowing the world to assert its empty yet destructive forms of power upon Him and then overcomes it three days later. 
showing it that the power is actually empty. Maybe Paul says this because he knows 2,000 years later how the reign of sin and death will invite all of us, a people of the cross, back down a road of our own destruction, tempting us to exchange God's power for other forms of power the cross has declared empty. See, when people have placed their allegiance in the crucified Christ and believe in dismissing humanity's suffering despite the cross who suffered for humanity, they are headed for destruction. When people believe in state violence, political power, or wars will save the world despite the Christ who overcame both and declared their effect empty, they are headed for destruction. When people believe it is okay to divide humankind by territories or social categories of distinction, despite the Christ who reconciles all humanity in the one new family, they are headed for destruction. They have lost the wisdom of the cross, deemed the cross foolish, and are no longer believing in the new possibilities that have broken into the world through the crucified Christ. The foolishness of God's plan will make us look foolish because when we as Christians and us as a church view our engagement in the world through the cross, we will seek to place ourselves in positions of vulnerability rather than positions of power. And that is what makes Christian nationalism a heresy of the worst kind. When we as a church become clear on this, the gospel will become clear through us. Because the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And will sustain us. Beloved, we must remember that the cross teaches us that the world will not be changed by our persuasive arguments are attempts of power-mongering. It will be changed by tangible acts of compassion and love postured in humility. And then, perhaps, our words will actually matter. A church like this understands the power of the cross. And a church like this has to understand it entering into an election season and living in a world where bullets and bombs are flying and falling everywhere. And that is why I think Paul would say, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we, we who are being saved, we know the truth of the cross. We know it is the power of God. And so we aren't afraid to live because we aren't afraid to die. We aren't afraid to give because we're not afraid to lose. Because we have a God who is life and who is overcome 
And we have a God of abundance who has more than enough to give. We just must tell the truth in a world of denial. Give hope in a world of despair. And be faithful to the witness of the Christ of the cross so that the power of the resurrection of the Christ will be seen through us. And so whatever inside of you lingers or echoes that weighs you down and tries to remind you that you must operate in a way that makes you better than others, superior to others, or tells you that you are inferior to others, or less than others. Anything inside of you that would want you to believe in the shame narrative it is trying to tell you, then you look to the Christ of the cross, and you remember that He took all the shame upon Him. There is none left for you to carry. He took all the inferiority and superiority upon Him. You do not have to play your life according to those categories. And though He, and as a lamb before His shearers were silent, He did not open His mouth in His own defense because He knew who He was, because of whose He was. So you just go on being you, living out your divine assignment, and let everybody else think what they're going to think, and you trust God with the consequences. And while you do all of that, do not forget to love well. Do not forget to tell truth in a society of denial and embody your hope in a world of despair. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 